Alpha, you know what I need. Teenagers with attitude. That's correct, Alpha. Teenagers with Welcome to Teenagers with Attitude, the show where a bunch of grown adults sit around and talk about teenagers in tightly colored clothing. Um, and uh, not today, Walken, though. There no, are not today. There are no teenagers in this one. No teenagers. No, instead, it's to be seen. Instead, uh, Chris Walken cosplaying as Dale Gribble, which is also fine. Uh, but you know, we'll see. What the fuck is Dale Gribble? You, really? Oh. Look at the hell, Luke. He's the he's that guy. Yeah, he's that guy. Did okay. you just Google it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good, yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm Zach, and joining me this week, we've got Lexi. Uh, hey, hi, thanks for joining us on uh, a second episode talking about the uh, only movie in which a hateful mustachioed man tries to kill a CGI rodent that uh, is worth talking about. I... Hmm. Yeah, what are the ones other that aren't one? worth talking about? Yeah, <laughs> is there another one? <laughs> uh, I mean, hedgehogs are kind of rodents, right? Uh, okay, sure, that's true. I guess not hedgehogs. That, you know, anyone would be talking about any hedgehogs. Not that I've already committed to making us do a bonus episode on that, even though I kind of don't really want to anymore. It's definitely, I mean, peek behind the curtain. You did commit us to that before we found out about horrible work conditions for the people who made it. So I mean, yeah, I sure, whatever. Could... More importantly, I committed <laughs> us to that back when it looked bad. Oh, right. Okay, Luke, yeah, Luke. I see. Yeah, what's up? They changed the, the the visual design of one of the characters. That's yeah. far from the only problem that movie was going to have. Yeah, I know, but, that, yeah, but it's not going to be just a horror show every scene now. You have so many... You have so many reasons to not do this, and yet you seem like you really want to for some reason. Listen, Luke does not I, back I down for really a challenge. I don't really want to anymore. I just feel like I've committed to it, and I don't want to back see. off of it. I see. Uh, anyway, in case you couldn't tell, Luke is also here. Eh, if you say so. I mean, you are here. Like, I, mean, I can talk to you. Who can say? <laughs> okay, well, great. So, if you don't that, remember, we're watching... That's true. This watching... could be anybody with a cute little drawing of the Speed Racer. No that's one knows true. what you're referencing. No, the listeners haven't seen my Skype avatar. <laughs> well, they, I mean... It would, they would also have to be able to do a really good impression of you, which, you know, if, if you got a good Luke impression, I would like to hear it. 
but anyway, I could just never it, give you my audio, and it'll sound like you're talking to a ghost. Yeah, it's um, a good question, Zach. Did you start the backup? <laughs> uh, more importantly, did you finish the backup from last time? Uh, so I did stop recording the backup from last time, which I usually forget to do. I hadn't started a backup, but now I have. Great. So hey, everyone, thank, hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us for the TWA pre-show. <laughs> the actual episode will be starting shortly. Merry so, Christmas, everybody. I mean, here's the good part. We haven't talked about the fucking thing we're going to talk about yet, so it's fine. Um, in case you missed last week, we are talking about Mouse Hunt, uh, the DreamWorks family comedy <laughs> question mark yeah uh directed by gore verbinski starring nathan lane uh and another guy whose name escapes me at the moment who wasn't in that many other things uh (laughs) but we we stopped last week uh right about when a special guest star shows up i guess it's not really a guest star in a movie it's just a supporting actor um (laughs) But uh, they have called a an, an uh, exterminator to help get rid of this pesky fucking mouse. And I want to say, again, before we even get started, I would like to remind everyone listening, as we describe the links to which they go to try to get rid of this mouse, that no one has give them, given them the imperative that they get rid of this mouse. It's just, it's really important to remember that no one was like, you only get the money if you kill this mouse. That did not happen. Uh, so yeah, it's, worth, again. it's worth noting that in like three days, they're going to sell this house to somebody. And if it has a mouse, that that becomes the problem of whoever gives them a lot of money. Yeah, but Nathan Lane is traumatized and is convinced that a single rodent can ruin his uh, most daring that's dreams. Tr- that's true. Yes, that is correct. Um so we we get uh, this guy who shows up. Uh, his name is Caesar to help uh, exterminate the literally mouse. the only similarity between Christopher Walken's costume and Dale from King of the Hill is that he has a baseball cap. That's both, where it begins and they're ends. They're both crazy exterminators. Oh, an exterminator. Yeah, no, there's okay. a there is a yeah. There's a somewhat wild and paranoid element to him that is very Gribble-esque. Yes, he's even got yes. a actual, like, he's got a exterminator's van with a dead bug on the top, which is oh, is that like a thing? Dale's okay, thing. yeah, I, I search Dale exterminator. I'm seeing more similar costumes, there I you guess. <laughs> if you're gonna, Listen. you know, if you're gonna call us out for inaccurate comparisons to a thing you haven't seen, Luke, right. uh, at least do some <laughs> research first. Wait, but okay, but no. Still no, because that just means that he's dressed like an exterminator, while this guy also is dressed like an exterminator. You could have just as easily said, like, Ghostbusters cosplayer, and it would have been the same freaking thing. In any case, uh, they... I don't... I will say I don't know what the status of uh, Christopher Walken's career is at this point, Mm -hmm. but I... They definitely want you to be very surprised and excited that it's Christopher Walken because they hide his face with equipment as he walks into the house. Right. And you don't see who it is until he sets it down and then stands back up. And Mm -hmm. then we see that it is, in fact, Christopher Walken. Um, We start with a very strange joke about, like, basically Christopher Walken shushes everyone as they try to talk to him. And then, uh, 
you know, he like walks around and, and listens and they're kind of doing like a, I don't know, like a rat whisper thing where he like touches stuff and then he smells the air and then he's like, you have mice. Cause he's, I guess, a supernaturally good, uh, exterminator. Right. Um, and, uh, then he starts taking notes on a, like a recorder, uh, and, uh, he, the guys are still being quiet and he's like, oh no, he's not listening anymore, which is, it's weird. Like (laughs) he, he, he also like loudly talks about asbestos as though he's trying to throw off the mouse's scent that actually he's there to kill mice. Right. Which, go ahead. The... Sorry, I'm losing. I'm losing the words for this. Uh, but the um, the tone I get it reminds me very much of when a like kid is playing some sort of make believe game and adults try to play along, but they clearly aren't like quite on the same wavelength. Right. So the kid's right. like, "No, what? What are you? What are you talking about? No, they're not there. They're like over there now." Yeah, because yeah. because they like uh, Ernie and Lars do this thing where they're like, okay, we'll just leave you to it. And then they like make stomping sounds to pretend they've left the room. And right. then uh, Christopher Walken is like, what are, what are you doing? Which is, I don't know. It's pretty funny. It's just a weird like setup that it like, took me a while to understand what was happening. <laughs> this character can be 100% summed up as guy you get Christopher Walken to play. Yes. Yeah. yeah. For sure. It is a comedy Christopher Walken bit. Um, so he, he, he also basically tells them that he is, uh, most suited to this job because he's insane, which is interesting because he tells them he can think like a mouse. Well, yes, but specifically what he says is they say we've been trying to catch this guy for three days. And he says, well, normal people are not psychologically equipped to catch mice. Which... He's not saying he's insane. He's saying he's supernatural. He's saying oh, okay. he's psychologically equipped to catch mice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, most of the time now, when people say I'm not normal, they mean I'm better than normal, Zach. Sure. Fair enough. Now, we've gone into extensive depth about how this mouse is not a mouse, but uh, some kind of apparition, possibly yes. a stand. Um but the thing is, his uh, techniques and strategies that he deploys in this scene, where he is loudly uh, talking about other things to throw the mouse off, implies that he's used to dealing with mice that can comprehend English. Th- that's true, yeah. Like, it- it's it's one of those things where you're like, this guy's crazy. And then you remember that they explicitly showed that the mouse can read in a previous scene. So maybe it's, it's not right. that crazy. So, so it's not just that this is a uniquely supernatural mouse. It's that apparently this is part of a class of supernatural mice that plague no. this universe. I got more of the impression that this guy is a little nuts. And normally he is effective simply because your average mouse is stupid enough to just, like, get caught by traps and stuff. And all this other stuff he's doing is just his own delusions. Mm, And he has just happened to stumble into the one situation in which his particular uh, approach actually has some sort of merit. But the problem is, like, the problem is there's no middle ground where there's a mouse smart enough to be able to comprehend the actions he's taking and be fooled by them. It's either mm-hmm, yeah. they're dumb enough that it doesn't matter, or they're some sort of supernatural being that will, well, let's get to it. 
<laughs> so <laughs> they, they he starts strapping on all this equipment. He's got like bug bombs and and all other stuff, and also a like magnifying glass helmet, which is weird. Yeah, he does uh, have a a particular like bomb in a can. That's like a literal bug bomb where he like freaks out when they touch it because it he says it's like the big one. Yes, uh which we'll talk about that when we get to it. Um uh-huh. and uh Man, if there- I ever dealt in any sort of like highly sensitive uh materials, be it, you know, fireworks or just fancy electronics, I would absolutely pick one that I would call the big one. Right. Yeah, of course. Uh I mean Otherwise, what are you even doing? But yeah, yeah. so they... but he does point out to them. He's like, he's like, oh god, I hope you can help us with this mouse. It's been such a nightmare for us. And he's the first one to say, yeah, but you need to think about it from the mouse's perspective. He thinks you're the intruders. Yes. So they do hit on that. That like, because they've kind of been showing that in the movie, which is like, this is the mouse's house, really, and they're the intruders. So. He says, yeah, you're the intruders, and then they, they Although, leave. despite understanding that, Christopher Walken is still happy to kill this mouse. Right, of listen, course. Listen, listen, he can think like a mouse. That doesn't mean he sympathizes with him. <laughs> right. We go back to the Schmunt's uh, string factory where the string workers union is striking uh, because they have not been paid. Uh, Ernie and Lars run into the building, um, and their plan is... Essentially, they're gonna make enough string. They those these two people are gonna operate the string factory to make enough string to sell, so that they can keep the Larue because they owe like ten. What was it? Like twelve thousand dollars? Twelve hundred dollars? Yeah. On the Which, on the house. How much string do you think you'd have to make in order to make twelve hundred dollars profit? I have no idea. It seems a like lot, a lot. A lot. Yeah, a bunch. Um. So they they go inside, or actually, uh, Lars goes inside. Ernie says he has to run another errand, uh, and <laughs> there is there is kind of a funny slash dehumanizing joke where uh, they surround him, and he's like, "They're afraid of fire. Light a match!" Like, which is weird. <laughs> I mean, um, I think that's pretty fucked up, given that they're like crossing a picket line. Oh, no, it's not good. <laughs> like, yeah. he, they clearly do not view these people as humans. Right. Um, so Lars goes inside, and he starts trying to make string by himself, which... Ah, as but he gets his clothes snagged on a hook. Right. So as, as we've discussed, it's like a nearly steampunk slash Rube Goldberg factory, basically. Um, and one of his... Uh, a thread of from one uh, his jacket gets goes into the machine um, and starts getting threaded through and he starts walking away. Now, and then to be real- clear, to be clear, he gets hooked on just a hook and he starts wandering around doing his business and then he sees this string on on the hook going from nowhere and he's just like, oh, I'm going to put this in the machine because yes. he is an idiot who deserves what he gets. <laughs> he, he also, also, once he realizes it's caught and it's unraveling. He, instead of just taking his jacket off, uh, which would probably be what I did, he tries to pull on it and to gain better purchase, he puts his foot up against another piece of machinery, at which point the thread from his jeans gets sucked into that machine 
Right. And then all his clothes come off. Right. Yeah, yeah it's, no, it's a cascade of errors. It's yeah. this long scene of this rich, idiotic capitalist who inherited this factory being torn apart literally by the means of production. Yeah, basically. And he just keeps trying to pull uh, pull stuff and, and hit levers, and he just ke- keeps getting caught more and more. His tie gets caught in a press. I briefly thought he might just die because this movie's already pretty fucked up anyway. <laughs> but no, that's not what happens. His so clothes just this all movie's get like, off. I'll, I'll rewrite away from just being like Marxist propaganda. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, we cut back to uh, Christopher Walken, who is. I want to. I want to uh, cut of that scene that like uh, makes all of the actual moment-to-moment stuff shorter and is in all black and white yeah. and just intersperses each scene with a little, like, dialogue card. With, like, maybe, <laughs> right. some, you know, maybe some ragtimey piano going in the background. Yeah. yeah More footage of the strikers good. outside during all of it. Yeah! <laughs> uh, so we we get him... Um, uh, we get Christopher Walken crawling on, on the ground... Uh, he sees three droppings from the mouse. He looks at two of them and is able to determine that the mouse is uh, male and how big it is. And then Academy Award winner and two-time nominee <laughs> Christopher Walken <laughs> eats eats a mouse poop in order to uh, to. De- I don't even remember. He just eats it. He, like, like, he he's analyzing the mouse's, the mouse's diet. diet. He says it's yeah. got a right. small, slight calcium deficiency and remarks that right. that's odd. Future uh-huh. star of the greatest music video ever. Oh, had that not happened yet? No, God, no, it was a couple years later. Uh, but yeah, he'd, you know, already been in fucking Deer Hunter, so. Right. <laughs> um, he eats a turd, because yeah. that's the kind of movie this movie is. Yeah. Uh, we cut over to uh, Ernie at this point, who is running his errand, which I don't remember if they set it up last time, but basically. Okay. So he oh, I just want to is... remark that as we're leaving that scene, we get a straight up fucking Max from the Grinch scene of the mouse looking at the camera and doing like a quizzical head yes. tilt and blink. That's true. Yeah. yeah. All this is happening as if to say, okay, this guy is nuts. Yeah. Um, he ate my shit. Uh, so at this point, uh, we get to Ernie, who is, again, he is trying to sell the string factory to Zepco. Um, and he sets up a meeting with them, uh, at a payphone and says he'll meet them, uh, at, in like an hour, I think, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes to sit down at a bench. And there could these- you, could you imagine for a second if, let's say, Procter and Gamble is like, hey, <laughs> you've got a really nice factory there. We'd like to, we'd be interested in buying you out. And, you're like, okay, let me think about it. And then you call them back and say, yeah, okay, I'm interested in talking. Meet me under the clo- the big clock at on the street. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like, a little shady this is a, sounding. This isn't a fucking ransom. Look, yeah. at half the time, you, they can't tell if this is a big company or if it's the mob. Yeah. Um, also, uh, also imagine if they agreed to that and then you decided, you know, what's more important is like... Hitting on two ladies out of nowhere. Right. So, by the way, I said an hour. I was wrong. It's like three minutes. Because yeah. they show the clock and he cannot make it three minutes without some <laughs> shit happening to him. Um, because, yeah, he's sitting on this bench. There's these two ladies. He kind of starts flirting with them. 
Um, and he, what? How does he fucking lose his stupid hat? He it, like is like tosses it up in the air or something, and then drops it, and the wind takes it. Yeah, and it goes off into the um, into the street, and then we cut, right. and then we don't even see the resolution of that. We cut to uh, an old man going up to a house. No, no we, we get the resolution of it right here. Yeah. No, we don't. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, we do. I'm watching it. Oh, oh I'm sorry, I'm I missed it. Okay, yes. What you got right. the director's cut over there? No, yeah, I got the special <laughs> yeah, better cut. Uh, yeah, so he he retrieves his hat from the street, does like a flip with it, like all standing oh, yeah, in I the middle it. of the street, like like showboating to those women that he got his hat. Yeah, and then he sees that oh shit, it's twelve o'clock. The uh the guys I'm supposed to meet with presumably are over there, so I'm gonna go yell at them to let them know I'm on my way. But he's drowned out by the honking of a horn, and then we see a bus come at him. <laughs> yeah. They had not yet invented the one shot every movie uses of someone getting hit by a bus yet. So yeah, instead, so, it's just yeah, like it, a first-person view of it happening. Well, uh, it's a first-person view of it about to happen, and then a view of the onlookers gasping as his body is mangled. Yeah. He gets hit by a fucking bus, because this movie is just like, you know, we, we didn't get dark enough in the first half. Let's just start hitting people with buses. Um. So then uh, this old man goes up to the house that we saw at the beginning of the movie, and he informs Lars's ex-wife. Who is wearing uh, an old-timey nurse's outfit. Yeah, I didn't quite understand why that was happening, but, you know. I guess it's just to imply she's got a job, too. Don't worry about it. I think her job might be as some sort of, like, an escort. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, I'm not throwing shade on that. It's just a weird choice. Right. Because, yeah. Again, we don't. I don't really understand the time period of this. Maybe that's what they wear in this weird-ass place. Right. Be nurses. But um, she, he's looking for Lars, and he says, is Lars there? And she says, uh, no, but I'm his, his wife, and technically still. And he says, like, oh, can I want, I want to talk to him about the auction. And then she's like, ooh, auction. Because, again... This lady's just in it for the money. Right. Uh, we cut back to the factory. Lars is naked. Yeah. Uh, and his clothes just have been- Just full on butt ass naked. And his clothes have been turned into string and he picks up a bunch of the boss's string and holds him in front of his dick. And runs Man, to I the love office. Yoshi's Woolly World. What a great game. <laughs> uh, he runs to the office and his wife is there. Um,. And like full and, on old timey lingerie. Yeah. yeah. Again, well, again, for, I she goes through so many wardrobe changes in this movie. Yeah. At first, she's in like a like an, a house coat type thing, and then she opens it, and it's like, whoop, uh, straight on sexy lingerie time. Uh, and I guess they fuck. Oh, I mean, uh, we know they fuck because we cut to to uh, the uh, fucking. <laughs> God, I forgot the name of the fucking dude. Um, Yeah, who knows? The the painting of their dad, who just looks very sad that he has to watch his son do a fuck. Uh, Or Dorian Gray-esque portrait. There's the the reference I was going for. That was worth waiting for. Yeah, it was a good one. He actually kind of looks vaguely intrigued by the fact that Oh, I don't agree. No, no, he looks very worried. Oh, okay. All right, I can't, I can't stop it. I guess. Oh boy, <laughs> this is like if the fucking paintings in Harry Potter that are somehow sentient couldn't actually leave their portraits. So like, right. if you have a like a poster up in your room, every time you fuck, 
that portrait has to just watch. Yeah, right. true. So we cut back to Christopher Walken, who is using uh, like a snake camera to look through the floorboards of the house, uh, which is attached to him, and he's got like a little screen. Again, like and this is this is a thing where the actual like camera and like s- small screen he's using are fairly modern tech. But his outfit and the apparatuses that these devices are hooked up to look like they're from the 50s. Right, right. yeah. Like, his helmet basically looks like a World War II pilot's helmet. Like, it's, yeah, it's it's all weird. Um, so, the uh, he's trying to find the mouse. We see the mouse uh, crawl down the, uh, uh, the wire uh, that he's got um, set up to the camera. And he's trying to fix it. Well, yeah, and the, feed, he... the feed all of a sudden goes out, which, you know, yes. as as anyone who's seen any horror movie can tell you, like, that's not a good sign. Now, again, I want to go over what we've seen the mouse do so far. Okay, uh-huh. we've uh-huh. seen the mouse. We've seen the mouse, like, navigate a space extremely well. Right. right? We've seen the mouse, like, push uh, traps into places purposefully. Uh, we saw the mouse put the suction on up against the the um, the sewage line. Okay, fine. Like these are obviously advanced things that a normal mouse wouldn't be able to do. Um, but this is the point at which the, I think the mouse has like telekinetic superpowers, basically at this point, uh-huh. because when he sees that there's a, a wire cut and he pushes it back together in order to. Uh, get the screen back up he sees the camera going towards the front of his truck uh and then he goes and looks out the window and the mouse has tied it to the winch of his truck uh <laughs> and then he does he turn it on yes yeah, he does yeah, the mouse he turns, turns the, the winch, winch on. on uh and then uh <laughs> fucking christopher walken gets dragged through this house and like through floorboards. Right, he gets dragged through the house. Yes. <laughs> it's insane. Literally, yeah, there is literally a trench dug yeah. by his body. Yeah. Like, this guy's super dead. <laughs> it's, it's wild. Also, There's I want to per- point out that as, like, the mouse is on that winch, and as uh, <clears throat> Walken's character, like, flips through the things of magnification or whatever, like, the mouse makes eye contact with him before doing it. Like, yeah. yes, the yes, mouse waits does. until it knows he can see it doing it to him. <laughs> and then he, uh, when Christopher Walken is dragged all the way out, the mouse uh, walks on his face and shits on him, <laughs> which is genuinely incredible. Like, again, you, I think it was you, Lexi, last week who said uh, that there are no heroes in this. Yeah, okay, I agree. <laughs> like, I understand the mouse is protecting his territory. That's fucked up, buddy. The mouse is not prote- <laughs> defending its territory. The mouse is... Uh, the mouse is definitely an agent of chaos. Good yeah, thing okay. Christopher walking out of the house violently, you know, castle doctrine. The mouse can do that. But then he then what he's gonna do next? Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. We're about to see that the the mouse has like the mouse is violating the Geneva Convention at this point, right? Yeah, the mouse yeah. is about to uh, start becoming out and out malicious, right? So the last 
place we see Christopher Walken is uh, attached to his winch in the front yard of the right. uh, of the the house. Well, and, and we, importantly, as he's getting dragged out, the bug bomb uh, flies out of his oh, like, yes. pocket and rolls under something. Yes, that is crucial. Uh, we cut to um, uh, Ernie in the hospital. Uh, he's being rolled to uh, a, a room. And uh, he's like, no, don't take me in. I, I, I have to sell the thing. Uh, at this point, we see the two women uh, who have saved his hat and also come to see him. Uh, he asks if the doctor asks if they are family. And he they say, yes, we are sisters, which is the g- most genuine laugh I got out of this. Honestly, yeah, this it's is a brilliant routine. <laughs> it's a good joke. It's real stupid. I liked it. Uh Anyway, uh, then um, he's like, okay, great. Here's some paper uh, paperwork to fill out. And uh, Ernie's like, I don't know who they are. And then they're like, oh, hi, I'm Hilda. And this is uh, Ingrid, I think. Um, they are Belgian hair models, because yep. why not? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Ernie says he needs to find a phone. Uh, and then... Uh, what happens? Oh, then then Lars shows up. Yeah, it, yeah. There's uh, a right. I there's a really bad bad joke that was maybe the maddest I've been at the movie so far, mm-hmm. uh, where you know he's telling he's telling the doctor, listen, I don't know these women, and the doctor's like, uh, your brother's delirious, and he's like, I'm not their brother. I don't have any sisters. And then yeah. Lars shows up yeah. wearing the house coat that his wife was wearing. Yeah. It's not good. Uh, it's a pretty bad transphobic joke. Uh, so great. Good job. 1997. Um, or six or whenever it is. Uh, devoid of that, like that house coat is so big and like ostentatious that it's funny on its own, especially the fact that he bothered to also wear the matching hat. I do but like the hat. Like that part, you know, the, yeah, the, yeah, it's couched in that shitty. And he did not joke, have any clothes, so. but yeah, they did that. Anyway, right. uh, he picks up Ernie and they, he explains that his wife took him back. Uh, and no, he did not tell her about the auction. Uh, but Ernie doesn't basically has already figured out that she's back because she heard about about money. Um, but, you know, he's fine with it. Listen, everything's going to work out. Yeah, whatever. He's like, yay, hooray. Um, so then they get to the house. Uh, oh, sorry. Before that, they see, um, uh, Christopher Walken's truck being towed away. Right. Um, and they get to the house and, uh, Christopher Walken is being, uh, put on a stretcher. Uh Uh, and he has gone insane and is, uh, chattering like a mouse. So that's great. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. And Ernie asks the the uh, uh, sheriff there, uh, how how did uh, how did you find him? Um, the answer is that uh, the mouse fucking called nine one one, and obviously can't speak. But they had to come check out the nine one one call, right? Uh, and they found him uh, screaming. And locked in a trunk in the attic. Yeah, which, if you'll remember, is how the previous owners died. Uh, I have so many questions, but uh-huh. first of all, how how did Mouse get him there? How do uh-huh, that? Uh-huh. Uh, also, why didn't the Mouse call 911 for the first person he killed? Why this one? <laughs> like, I don't understand. <laughs> but you see, you see, Zach, the Mouse 
is not bound by the typical constraints on a mouse, but as the like avatar of this house, it is bound by certain restrictions. Ethical laws, okay. Yeah, so the previous sure. owner of the house was the previous owner, an interloper right. who was trying to claim this space that the mouse is uh, tasked with uh, defending. Okay, okay. Uh, so therefore, therefore, permanently disposing of him, much the way you would permanently dispose of vermin that has infested your home, uh-huh. is the only way to truly ensure that he will never be back. Whereas this man was simply contracted he has slighted the mouse by trying to destroy him, but is not all he all you need to get rid of someone like that is to convince them that it is no longer worth their while to do so. Got it. So so he would have uh, checked to see if there were any contractors on the Death Star first before he blew it up, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so he uh uh or sorry, they, they get back and they see the house is all fucked up. Uh, and they're like, huh, how are we going to fix this? Um, they find, uh, Christopher Walken's recording, uh, and they listen to it and it's just like, I th- it's just I him remember. screaming like, no, yeah. no, no more. Put yeah. that down. Don't touch that. Ah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they are kind of freaked out by this, which is fair. The mouse just left them torture porn. Yeah, basically. Uh, they go into the kitchen, which is, like, completely fucked up. I There's a coffee pot hanging from the ceiling, which I still don't understand. I don't know why that's there or, or, or how it got there. Um, there's a bunch of food out that the, the mouse ate, I guess. Um, or is about is, to eat because... Right. And then there's a sandwich. Uh, and I actually really like this part, which is because Ernie's like, Oh, uh, pickles, arugula, and capers. And he walks up to it, he says, he toasted the side with the cheese, uh, but not the other side, so the arugula doesn't wilt. That's impressive. Uh, and then uh, the sandwich starts moving, because <laughs> the mouse is under it. Uh, so this is, this is the a mouse, cartoon classic, and I love it. Yeah, apparently the mouse is also like an expert chef, I guess. Right. Um, they try to hit the mouse uh, with a frying pan, and because it's, we're in a cartoon... A fucking spoon ricochets off the table and knocks off a shelf, and it's just you know, it's that we're into you know that. How, you know how we, you know how we mentioned that this is the point where the mouse escalates things. That is, yes. uh-huh. that is very evident in the the upcoming struggles with the mouse. The way the house itself is now joining the mouse to fight back, right? Because the mouse and the house are really one being. Yes. Right, they are one and the same, essentially. The mouse crawls up the chimney. Uh, Ernie goes up the chimney, which I don't give a shit how much you want to kill this mouse. <laughs> if you start crawling up a stone chimney and get stuck, like, no. How- the motherfucking Grinch over here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much you would have to want something to do that, but I've never experienced it. So. See, Zach, here's the problem, though. These guys have clearly lost it at this point. They are running yeah. on. They are running on pure. I don't know. Hatred. Rage. Hatred. Yeah. Well, Liz, I, I think part of the curse of the house is that when they're in it, they lose their ability to act like rational people. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And are turned into like the Tom or the Elmer Fudd of a cartoon. 
Yeah, basically. They they can't have rational thoughts while because they're they, inside they act it. way more manic when they're in the house. Yeah. Uh, continuing the theme of the mouse at this point, just really, really going overboard. Uh, the mouse jumps on top of the, uh, the like, pilot light lever, I guess, for the yeah. fireplace. Right. And knocks that off, so gas is just coming out. Um... Lars runs back in with a uh, uh, a flashlight that's not working to see if any th- if he can get Ernie out, and then he's like, "Oh well, that's not working, so I better light a match." Mm-hmm. Uh, and he fucking explodes his brother out the top of the house like a cannon. Which is- actually, I'm sorry, I I left off the part where the mouse puts the matches. Yes, the there. mouse <laughs> subtly nudges the matches in reach to orchestrate this entire thing. I forgot yeah. that part. Uh, so yeah, the the mouse wants these men dead. And like, by all right, they should be right here because we see this fucking explosion that they're dead center of. There should be no like uncharred flesh left on their bodies. Well, Ernie gets shot a hundred feet in the air and then lands in the fucking frozen lake. Right, yeah, his... he lands in water, so he's perfectly fine. All right, right cartoons. Uh, and then he lands in his jacuzzi tub from earlier, which the, is the shot pretty of him funny. falling through the ice with like the the rickety picket sign that says "thin ice," and then him falling in the tub yep. is like the most like dead on cartoon shot they make in this movie. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 like this is funny, but mostly because I'm like I can't believe <laughs> like yeah no again, you if you good. This like this being live action makes it a little bit harder to um get into that cartoony suspension of disbelief state of mind where yeah. you you can just completely dismiss how like horrific the violence really is. Right, like I keep thinking, I kept thinking about Home Alone again as we discussed, and like the worst stuff that in that is like he gets his head set on fire, but then he you know dunks it in ice, so it's fine. And then, but most of it's just like getting hit with stuff. This is like this guy literally flies three hundred feet through the air, and the other guy's in a huge explosion that blows him through a wall. Like yeah, it's harder that, to. That said, if you've gotten to this point in the movie already, like you pretty much have to have reached the point where you're just like, yeah, okay, this is a live action cartoon. Not n- nobody's gonna sustain damage between scenes. It's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. Because yeah, because otherwise, like this would dis- at this point it would destroy you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. So then we see the mouse again, and uh, he's in front of Lars, and this also give me this whole scene. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, then a hutch falls over on Lars. Right. And at this point, uh, Ernie gets back. Is that his name? Did I just make that name up? Ernie. Nope, that's no, you're right. right. Okay. Whew. And they have been, like, reduced to a sub-vocal, like, sub-verbal level at this point. They can't even speak anymore. Yeah, They're again, just making I, just guttural noises at one another of pain and hey, misery. Y- yeah. You know how you know how in Roadrunner cartoons, Wile E. Coyote is completely mute? But then he also yeah. shows up in some Bugs Bunny cartoons where he does talk. Right, yeah. Wile E. Coyote's super genius. Right, yeah. so... This just clicked something for me because that was that always bothered me. Even though you know it's cartoons or whatever, and they run on their own rules, I'm like, okay, it's the same character. Why, why are these restrictions here? Right. It just dawned on me, like he got defeated by Bugs Bunny so many times that he just kind of <laughs> snapped and went feral. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Well, so, you know, he didn't have anyone to talk to in the Roadrunner cartoons. The audience. He just, he just explicitly addresses the audience with signs. You know what? There is one episode where he does talk to the audience in a Roadrunner cartoon. That's true. Yeah, there is one where a, he explains. A rare moment of lucidity in his otherwise yeah. <laughs> right. fragile uh, psyche. Remember how they made a Tom and Jerry cart movie 30 years after the fact and they just talked? And the explanation was like, I just never thought about talking before, basically. <laughs> no, but that's incredible. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this scene, again, is very reminiscent of in, in Home Alone after they really get the shit beat out of them and can barely speak. It's a lot of them, like, yeah. stumbling around and, and like, blah, 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 like that kind of stuff. Um so they are lurching after this mouse. Ernie grabs a fucking elephant shotgun off the wall, like a giant, ridiculous shotgun. Um, Lars uh, Lars has an objection to this, which is that he might damage the house, which at this point yeah. seems like... <laughs> yeah, have you looked around? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, seems a, a little, uh, a, a little beyond the pale. Right, they start, like, fighting over the gun. Lars is worried that, like, Ernie's in, like, a very, uh, not the right mental state to be wielding a gun with, which is probably true. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> Lars is trying to be the voice of reason, and then he sees the mouse, and his ability to reason vanishes. Yeah, because And he starts magic. yelling to shoot the mouse. Yeah. Yeah, no, this uh, is no, Luke, you're 100% right about the house having an effect on them because this is the way people act in uh movies where they are in like a haunted house and right. like they're starting to get like possessed and like or like uh influenced by some sort of malingering mal- malicious spirit. Right. Yeah. Or it's like how, like the like in Cabin in the Woods it releases like that gas that makes them act like slasher movie characters. Yeah. Yes, totally. It it reminded me of that too. Uh, also, though, because we're in a cartoon, the mouse gets in a tin can, which is invulnerable to bullets. No, no, it is not invulnerable to bullets. Is, he just yeah. can't hit it because he's rolling around it and he's a terrible aim. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, it's very explicitly not impervious to bullets, Zach. Well, he shoots it. I get okay. I guess he does miss. I thought he hit it a couple times before it it blows up. But yes, you are right. Um, he he. He does. He says, "Why doesn't? Why don't you give someone else a chance with that gun?" And then Ernie fucking aims at his brother, and Lars is like, "You're doing a great job. Keep going, buddy." I like that part. Uh, <laughs> and the mouse so, is fucking with him because that can goes back and forth in the same fucking doorway like three times. Yeah, it's great. Um, they he finally hits the the can. The uh the mouse runs out Zach, of it. Zach, tell me what happens to the can when he hits it. It blows up. It gets <laughs> in it. You're right. I'm sorry. He the mouse runs down a hole. Uh, he puts the gun down the hole. Says, "See you in hell, mouse." Uh, and then we see that the it's right on front of the bug bomb. Uh, and then he shoots the bug bomb. And then what the actual fuck happens? <laughs> it looks like a World of Warcraft wizard spell. We go into a CGI world all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, like the the ground in a circle becomes like cursed by dark magic, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and then like it all explodes upwards. Yeah, this is when you it's... reach a trigger point in a video game and transition to the boss fight arena. 
And it looks right. like a fucking Mortal Kombat move. It's wild. Yeah. Like, it's so crazy looking. And they fall, you've, you know, they fall into this big hole. Uh, and the mouse, you know, climbs out and he's to show he's he's fine. And he walks over to the big hole and looks down into the, the hole where these two fucking basically dead men are down there. Yeah. And they look up and the mouse is just like, hey, what's up? Oh, mouse still. <laughs> and it's pretty good. Uh, Ernie's like, fuck, I hate that mouse. Phone rings. It goes to the answering machine and it's the Zepco guys. Uh, yeah. Calling Ernie to be like, hey, we waited over an hour for you. You never showed up. Consider our author rescinded, especially after your brother turned us down the first time. Right. And then they start fighting with each other because they both kind of were doing stuff behind each other's backs. Right. Uh, Lars, uh, they they, they kind of yell at each other for a while. Uh, they They Ernie- end up literally screaming at each other from across the hole that they have created in this house. Yeah. Ernie at some point says like visual metaphor for the distance between them. Yeah. Ernie at some point says that like he had tried to, you know, he tried to impress dad, but dad never loved me. I made him this crazy good lamb and he didn't even want it, but he just looked at the twine it was held together with. Uh, And then Lars sound kind of deranged. Yeah. And then, Lars is just like, no, it's just because you can't fucking cook, which seems like demonstrably untrue to me right. as far as I can tell. It does um, seem like it, they don't go into it enough, but the impression I get is that Ernie has very, like, highbrow tastes that, like, most folks are going to think are just kind of gross. Right. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, um, yeah, see, see putting capers on a grilled cheese sandwich. Right. Right. Yes. Um. So they, they, you know, yell at each other. Uh. For a little bit, and then uh, they basically just they. Uh, oh right, uh, Lars throws a, a fucking orange at Ernie, and I didn't like this part because it hits <laughs> the mouse. And well, the they, mouse... they figured out the trick to defeating the mouse stand. You know, the the, the JoJo battle theme kicks in because what it turns out is that you can hurt the mouse as long as you don't try to directly damage it. As long right. as you aren't actually trying to hurt the mouse, you can hurt the mouse. Right. <laughs> and I know, it, again, I know it's CG, but... It's a very man, obvious CG at this right. point. But but a grown man does hit a tiny mouse with a whole-ass orange, and it just, like, goes down. And I was like, oh, no, that mouse is dead. Yeah, in your uh, defense, Zach, they are trying to specifically engender that feeling in you because, yeah, like, his mouth is slightly agape, and his, his, he- his arms are cartoonishly up in that... Um, yeah. Yeah, in that specific pose, and they they make they make a really it really obvious how like hard it's breathing, like right. Uh, and then they both they both go to try and murder this this tiny fuzzy creature, right. and they it's cannot still alive, do it, even though it's knocked out. But it's starting to right. come too, so they got to deal with it. Uh, and they 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 can't kill him. Ernie and- Ernie, while trying to psych Lars into it, calls it. The Omen with Whiskers, which is yeah, a little more on good. the nose than it should be. <laughs> good line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they can't kill it. And this reminded me of the time that uh, my wife was living in another apartment that had rats. And she made me catch the rat with uh, uh, with a live trap. And then when I caught it, I was like, what do you want me to do with it? And she was like, you know, like, take it outside and hit it against the wall and kill it. And I was like, <laughs> wow. I was like, 
well, no, I'm not going to do that. If you wanted it <laughs> dead, use a fucking kill trap. Yeah. I was going to say, why would you use a live trap if that's what you're going to do with it? Well, she had really fucking shitty landlords, and they were like, you have to prove you have a mouse before we'll do anything about it. Uh-huh. So she caught it, and we took a picture, and then she's like, okay, now kill it. A, and a, I was dead, like, a dead mouse in a, or a dead rat in a rat trap is going to prove the same thing. I would, I would tend to agree, but this is years ago, so let's not relitigate it. Uh, <laughs> I Anyway, so I that's how I ended up uh, putting the mouse in my car and driving it like six miles away to let it go in the woods, where I'm sure it died pretty much immediately, but at least I didn't I'm, have to do it. Zach, see, I will never be able to do that because I have seen enough children's programming about animals that are separated from their home and through a magical a series of adventures find their way back. Right. Uh, well, yeah, your mistake was only driving it six miles away and not mailing it to Cuba. Yeah, exactly. So so they, they can't kill it, so what they do is mail it to Cuba. Right, they uh, wrap it up in that box of cigars, and they address it to Fidel Castro. It just um, says Fidel Castro, Han- Havana. Like, yeah, that'll work. Yeah, there's no address on it. My... Also, like, after they're like, oh, we can't do it, they put it in this box, and Ernie immediately is like, ha ha ha, I didn't put holes in it. And I'm like, wait, hold on a second. I thought you couldn't kill the mouse. Like, No, you here's see- the thing. They couldn't beat it over the head. Like, if, sure. it, if it happens to suffocate on its way to, to Havana, like, that's that's not on them. Sure, right. of course. Uh, so they drop it at the post office, which is, you know, I mean... Strong ner- uh, normal to Abu Dhabi vibes in this right. scene. Right, we get a whole montage of like uh, uh, the the wife like writing the check. They're doing renovations. Intercut with shots of like the package making its way to Cuba. It gets all the way to Cuba, but then they weigh it on a postal scale for the first time, I guess. Yeah, and it turns out they didn't use enough postage. Right. Um, but yeah, as you said, there's this montage, a very quick montage of them fixing the house, and apparently without the, uh, uh, mouse there to fuck it up for them, it's, it goes really well. They somehow repair all of the damage in, like, a day. Yeah, because when we see it at at the party, it's, like, all fixed, basically. Well, now here's the thing. Is it all fixed? Is the damage repaired? Or is it, does it just look like it? And that staircase was ruined, and they're standing on the staircase. They definitely roll out big carpets, and maybe that covers up a lot of it. But sure. yeah, the stairs are fixed for sure. Um, so yeah. Uh, also, I, we can't overlook the fact that when they put it on the scale, the people in that room are just smoking big Cuban cigars. In case you didn't remember where they sent it to, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they send it back. Uh, and then, yeah, we cut to the, the party, the night of the auction. Uh, and they're getting set up. Uh, the two, Ingrid and Helga, show up, and their hair is... One of them, I don't remember who is who. Their hair is like a spool of thread, and Lars instantly becomes rock hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah this, the, I mean, <laughs> given the house he grew up in, I guess it kind of makes sense, but apparently this dude has a string fetish. Yeah, like a sexual attraction to string. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, the he meets them. Uh, Ernie runs off to uh, check on his food that he's preparing. Um, and the the guy who earlier was shown to be a big deal uh, in like the the Larue Market 
comes to the back and offers $10 million, uh, if he will cancel the auction. Right. Uh, Once again, they're being given the option, you can have a lot of money here if you just walk away now. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the They're definitely, I think you kind of hit on it last time. Uh, the, sh- the movie seems to be like, it's okay to want money, but it's not okay to want all the money. Right. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> like so. $10 million is what, like 20 times as much money as they thought they were going to get for it originally. And he right. turns it down. Yeah. See, again, like, again, this is a, this is a thing where with some just subtle rewrites, this could kind of be Marxist propaganda. <laughs> right, yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, so uh, he, also he just says, a character note that I want to call attention to this guy, as he walks in, he walks up to this bowl of maraschino cherries and just starts fucking shoveling them in his mouth. Yeah, this movie doesn't shy away from fat jokes. Uh, we definitely said that earlier, but yeah, he's just eating all these maraschino cherries. Uh, and, like, to the point where Ernie has to, like, shove the ball away from him, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he says, nope, I'm declining. I want all the money. Uh, and uh, we cut back to Lars, who is talking to this woman. Uh, and he says, oh, you know, I own a string, string factory. And she's like, he wow, He starts out by cool. saying, you know, my dad owns a string factory, which gives me the impression that that's a line he has used on women many <laughs> times. And he's that's just not realizing that he can subtly spice it up a bit. Right. Uh, Lars's uh, ex, ex-wife, current wife, April, shows up. You know, my uh, dad's a and- pretty big wheel down at the string factory. <laughs> Yes, totally. <laughs> uh, 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 Ernie is walking around, just kind of like entertaining the guests. There's someone from like Saudi Arabia or somewhere, and he says Akuna Matata to them, just so you know what movie he was in. Hey, hey, did you know that Nathan Lane was Pumbaa? Don't forget, it's important. Uh, no, I didn't. No, he, was, he, was he was Timon. Oh, sorry, my bad. The uh, the guy <laughs> who works at the uh, cat concentration camp is. Pumbaa. Pumbaa. God. I got the name switched up. Sorry. Um, this movie sure has a cat concentration camp, huh? Yeah, it sure does. Yes, it, it certainly does. Uh, that's a that's a scene. Uh, yeah. a, a lady tells him that the raisins are a good touch on the dish, and he's like, raisins? I didn't put any. Oh, no, everyone's eating mouth shit again. Right. Like, Meanwhile, Lars is outside taking garbage out, and he sees like a, a ripped up the, the box that they shipped the mouse in. Yeah, so uh, I don't think Ernie and, does figure out. He's just like raisins. What? Huh? Yeah, what? that's true. So well, I think he's like sort of figuring it out. Uh, so I just want to point out, and I was having this thought as they were carrying the box in the first place, but like this is just a cardboard box. We know, for, like literally anyone who has ever interacted with a mouse knows mice can eat through cardboard pretty damn easily. Yeah, they can right. eat through drywall. Like, yeah, like yeah, that mouse could have gotten out of that box at any time, and it chose to wait until it returned to its, uh... It's, it's a home. Yeah. Uh, also, I love that Lars, when he figures it out, he's not like, oh no, it's back. He just starts screaming. Like, right. he's so fucking terrified well, you and see, upset for a couple of days when the mouse and the house were separated the the boys were in control of their mental faculties and that's how they were able to get so much work done they were right. able to work together they were able to think rationally they were able to make good decisions and you know actually get the house fixed up but now that the mouse has returned their brains have immediately returned to mush yeah, yeah totally um so uh Lars comes in and 
Ernie is um, uh, starting to get ready to, to give a speech. Uh, he goes to give the speech and Lars is like trying to pantomime Mouse, basically, to tell him that the mouse is back. Um, Ernie starts giving a speech and then the mouse shows up on the podium. Uh, and then he starts like, he has a gavel. Oh, sorry. Also, he has the lucky string from his yeah. dad and he yeah, puts earlier, it down on the podium. Earlier, Lars had given it to, to Ernie in like a gesture of like reconciliation. Right. And, yeah. And so Ernie, Ernie pulls it out before giving a speech and sets it down kind of lovingly. Yeah, and then the mouse fucking eats it. Which, he, okay. I know the mouse has already tried to kill them. There's something about the mouse eating the only piece of their father that they had left. It's just <laughs> really like, fuck you guys. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is a move designed specifically to destroy their souls. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he starts giving this speech, and every time he uses, uh, uses a word like knocked or hit, he uh, bangs the gavel also, to try to hit. Yells it in a, like a, a rage scream. Yeah, right. to to try to hit the mouse. Which obviously this is odd behavior, somewhat off-putting behavior. But this crowd is like has such a reaction. Like, ugh, I can't believe he'd hit that gavel. Yeah, and then he <laughs> he he's talking about how they renovated the house, and he's like, you know, uh, but there was nothing that a few nails. And then he just loses his fucking mind and wails <laughs> on the on the on the. Uh, he like he like the loses the ability to stand upright as he's scrambling for this thing. Yeah, um, and then he finally says, "Yep, uh, nothing we couldn't fix." And then he walks away from the uh, the the podium. Uh, they they reconvene tells, and say, "Like, oh, well, he tell as he's walking away, he tells the auctioneer, you know, no matter what happens, keep this going." Yes, uh, which is important because. I I forgot that bit and yeah there there's a reason he did that. Um so he starts the bidding uh as Ernie and Lars discuss that the mouse is back. Uh He he tries to open for 1 million and there's literally no takers. Like he has to go down to 500,000 before anyone will bid. Yeah, so I know that that happens at auctions, but this is an auction for one thing, and everyone ostensibly who has come here is there to bid on the one thing. Also, sure. it's like people were prepared to give them multiple millions of dollars just straight up. So, like, I feel like a one million dollar bid is not an unreasonable starting point. It seems weird because he has to like kind of cajole people, and, and like, I don't know if this is how auctions work because I've never been to one, but he's constantly like, remember how good this house is? It's really great. And I've seen a lot of auctions in media, and that does seem to be how they go. I guess the implication is just that everyone is so put off by Nathan Lane's weird behavior that they're like, I don't know if I want to bid on this house now. A weirdo owns it. Yeah, that's true. Um, He sees the mouse in one of the ladies' hair. Uh, and he goes to, he goes to, uh, to try and grab it. Um, and, and Lars is, sits next yeah, to the other Ernie lady. Ernie and Lars, by the way, not the auctioneer. Ernie and Lars. Yeah, sorry. Uh, and Ernie tries to grab it. It moves to the other woman's hair, uh, and then goes down her, her bra. Uh, oh, no, f- sorry. First it gets in the, like, little spool of her hat. Uh, and then Lars knocks it off and it jumps into her, 
her bra. And then he... Okay, this joke is stupid, but he sells it as hard as he possibly can because uh-huh. he just shoves his whole arm down down her front. Right. And, uh, like, everyone is staring, and it's everyone's reactions are pretty good. <laughs> his wife sees it and starts, like, hitting him, but he won't stop trying to fish the mouse out of there. Uh, and then, like, the other model is looking at all this and grabs Ernie's hand and shoves it down her top. Yeah. yeah. And my favorite part of this is Ernie's, Nathan Lane's reaction to this, which is not to struggle at all. He's just kind of like, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he kind of, like, sits good. back in his chair a little bit like, yeah, okay, we can do this, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Um, and he he grabs the mouse. Um and he stands up and shouts, I got it. Uh, and then it crawls down his his uh, 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 sleeve and he starts doing a fun dance. Um, yeah. And the they keep motioning to the auctioneer to keep going every time something really crazy happens. Mm-hmm. Um, also, also uh, next to him, like sitting next to the aisle, there's a lady in with, with one of those Cruella de Vil ass cigarette holders. Right. Yes. Uh, and as he's doing his little, like, I've got a mouse in my pants dance, he knocks the cigarette off that holder and it lands in the spool on the mo- yes, one model's of, of head. the model's head, which catches on fire. Uh, uh, <laughs> Lars is trying to get the pan- the the mouse out of his pants, uh, and Nathan Lane decide Ernie decides to help. Yeah. So he's basically uns- got the mouse like blocked off by grabbing the pants leg. And so Ernie's trying to go in and retrieve it, which should not be nearly as hard as they're making it seem. <laughs> he, he unzips his brother's pants and shoves his whole hand into his crotch. And it's just there's like, a, okay. there's, a, there's a whole, like, the bit is accentuated by them shouting nearly incoherent stuff. Like Lars shouting, I've got it. And Ernie saying, I'm going to let get, I'm going to get it out or pull yeah. it out or something. It's right. real dumb. The, this whole scene is like, it the whole movie is trying to be like madcap, and I don't think it really gets there. This scene kind of does. Yeah, I, so, I think what really what really gets me is for some reason as all of this is happening, this is when everyone finally decides. Yeah, you know what? This is worth bidding on. Right. Yes. For yeah. some well, reason, as these men are making complete asses of themselves and eventually start a full fledged fire on a woman's head. Like yeah, the bidding Nathan, just escalates to a fevered pace. Yeah, uh, Nathan the Lane weird, tries to the fucking weirdo guy who tried to buy it originally looks over, sees the woman's hair on fire, and just laughs. Yeah, which is fucked up. Uh, Nathan Lane grabs someone's martini, throws the uh, olive, and it goes down that guy's throat, and he starts choking on it. And then he pours the martini over this woman's hair, which, uh, of course, ignites. Because uh, I guess that guy was just drinking moonshine straight out of the, <laughs> out of the glass. <laughs> uh, 200 proof alcohol. Yeah, it's a little much. Um, and she starts screaming and running away. This other guy's choking to death. And the auctioneer, the whole, God bless him, is doing his job. Yeah, uh... The, the the other guy gets heimlicked and offers ten million. The other guy gets heimlicked and it the fucking olive pops out of his throat into uh, Lars's wife's throat, <laughs> which 
The be- only good part of that is that Ernie loses his shit and thinks it's really funny, uh, which you know, she, that's yeah, because she good. was because she was just about to call them all fucking idiots, right? Um, and uh, then the mouse runs over a bunch of people, which causes them to stand up, and the auctioneer thinks those are bids. That's also pretty good. Um, then finally they chase it to another room, uh, and the bid continues. Lars Lars comes in with a hose to try and put out the woman's hair, but yes. somebody else just dumps a, a thing, a bucket of water over it, and so he's so he's just standing there. And then Ernie sees and is like, "Oh, fucking great idea! I know what we can do." Yes, uh, he pulls the hose and he's like, "I'm gonna, we're gonna fucking kill that mouse!" And he shoves it into the mouse hole in the wall, turns the water on, and like you like you said. Luke, like, these men have no faculties because you know this is going to go bad. I mean, it's cartoonishly bad in what happens, but, like, yeah. I wasn't watching this super closely when I did the watch for this, but watching it now, I realized as Lars is turning on the, the water, I thought the handle broke off, but no, he just unscrewed it too much and it popped off. He could easily just screw that back on. But, yeah, but, but he looks at it aghast and then runs back into the house holding it. Yeah. So this big ups gets up to like 20 million as the entire walls of the house are filled with water. Yeah, we um, we see the mo- we see another uh another uh shot of the like head-on shot of the mouse uh escaping from the rising floodwaters beneath the home. Yeah, yeah, he he's, he's running away from like a giant tidal wave basically. Um, Ernie and Lars start like high fiving and shaking their each other's hands over what a great job they've done. Because <laughs> as, right. yeah. as this is wrapping up, we get a close up shot of a moose head that is mounted on the wall, and water yes. is leaking out of the eyes, making it look like the 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 moose head is crying, which is actually evoking the house's tears because the house knows what's about <laughs> to happen. Well, the house yes. happen, happen, and moreover, it's crying that it's being sold for $20 million. Listen, this is an architectural piece of art. That's what we've talked about. But really, this mouse just hates the bourgeoisie who are yeah. bidding on it, which is why it violently ejects them, because the mouse represents the fact that housing is meant for shelter, for people, and it's not a bargaining chip for the rich to gamble with. This mouse chooses to destroy its domain that it has been bound to protect. Rather right. than let it like go to this obscene excess of wealth. If this house cannot provide a roof over the heads of people who need it, then it should be torn down and replaced with something that will. Yeah, yeah. So the whole wall explodes. It uh, a giant white wave of water throws everybody out. There's a cute shot of the mouse in a like little bucket or something floating down the yeah floating down the canal, as it were. Uh, Ernie tries to get people to come back. He says, this was a demonstration of how durable a LaRue is. It's indestructible. And then the entire house falls down, which is pretty good. I like that part. A Um, house falling down behind a man who is very tenuously trying to keep his composure is always a very good comedic bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's a good, it's very funny. And then I also love that when that happens, like Ernie, all of the showman in him just leaves and he's just like, ah, shit. Yeah, you can literally see his body deflate. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's just done. Um, 
uh, Lars's ex-wife leaves with a handsome Texas man uh, who she was flirting with during the party, and everybody else just gets out of there. You know what? Good riddance. Um, trash going to trash. Yeah, totally. Uh, so they are just walking around in the rubble of this house. Uh, and then and a Christmas miracle happens. <laughs> like literally a beam of light shows shones down shones shows down shones from down my favorite my favorite new rock group let me light your light shones down uh from the sky it is nighttime so this is extra weird uh and out of that beam of light comes uh the string which definitely got eaten previously right. um and they're like this is a sign it means that we have to run the the factory and and uh, you know that's that's what we should yeah, do no, like, with our time. Lars means that finally they've defeated the mouse. It must be dead if the thing it ate is out here now. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, as Ernie reaches out to 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 take the string from Lars, it unravels into two pieces. Oh, and that's sweet. Um, and then they they get in the car and go back to the factory. And whoops, the. Mouse yeah, is we on. pan down and the mouse is fucking sideshow bobbing along the bottom of the car. <laughs> now I am gonna need y'all to explain how this fits with our the mouse is a part of the house theory. Well, I it's mean, the, no, the, the house, the no house no has been exists. defeated the, and now the, the mouse is a free spirit. Oh, I see. Yeah, the mouse has been released. Yeah. It has it has finally fulfilled the house's goal of. Uh, I guess rejecting capitalism. Okay, all right, fair enough. Uh, See, it's like the stand Anubis, which was a sword created by a great God, sword master Jesus. and uh-huh. imbued with the spiritual power. But even after the sword master died, Anubis remained and just became the stand of anyone that touched it. Okay, great. Uh, so we we cut to them uh, passed out on the um, uh, in the office, or maybe Notorious hum- B.I.G. is a better hang on, uh, analogy hang on. stand. Luke, I have a, I have an alternate suggestion. Okay. What if the mouse was not created as part of the house? What if the mouse is a wandering spirit that has always found a location to, I guess, possess? And it had existed in this house since it was created and is part of the reason why the, the, the man who created it went, cra- went crazy. Um, Wait, but how could it be a part? Wait, no, he designed the house and went crazy doing that. How right. would the mouse already be there to because what? because this man was a notorious creator of like luxury mansions. The mouse right. was attracted to this man's uh, hubris. Well, not even hubris, but his contributions to the uh, the horrific displays of wealth inequity that fuels capitalism. Oh, sure. Right, uh, right. So, like, he defeated he defeated that man and remained in the house as like he was like bound to that house then until he could uh carry out his his duties at which point he now must find a new location to consume and take over in this case a factory yeah. i suppose that's possible i like the idea that the mouse is the spirit of that man guarding that house i like that too but that's less uh that goes less with the anti-bourgeoisie thing. Well, oh no, this is the this movie's a tragedy. Oh, I see. <laughs> because the mouse becomes uh, the bourgeoisie at the end. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, <laughs> it's a, you see it all the time. The revolution comes, and the revolutionaries suddenly just want to be the new rulers. So the they they have passed out in the uh, office. They had a big hunk of cheese. Uh, they 
the we, cheese. Go ahead. Uh, I was gonna just yeah, I was just gonna say they have some cheese out on the on the desk, and the camera pans up across the uh, painting of their father, which is itself looking up at the mouse, which is now atop its frame. Yeah. Right. Two, if, in case we two, haven't made clear that the, two, the painting changes constantly. Yeah. So two, yeah. two uh, spirits bound to physical locations uh, now resting for control of a location. Right. Yeah. Or perhaps right. coming to some accord, as we will see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Superfly, that's another stand kind of like that. Although that is the physical God location. Damn it. <laughs> So they look out and see that the factory is is uh, is running. Yeah, we see the uh, factory start up and then cut back to them sleeping and see that the cheese has mysteriously vanished from the desk. Right. Uh, they walk out and see a piece of the big piece of cheese uh, go into the machine. I want to note, it wasn't out- really a big piece of cheese. True. It was not that big. Well, yeah, it's big. It's a big hunk. Uh, and... Out of the machine comes uh, a ball of yarn, except it's uh, cheese. So right, string cheese, cheese, string cheese yarn. The punchline of this movie is that they invented string cheese. Yes, yes, it is. It's a, it's a uh, like <laughs> an hour and forty minutes lead up to that joke. Yeah, basically. this is a, this movie is a shaggy dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, like I think we talked about it before. This is the movie at its most Hudsucker proxy. Yeah. Yes. Um, and now, okay, they look up and see that this mouse has done that. And I understand that maybe then they go like, well, maybe the mouse isn't so bad. And also we can't kill it anyway, whatever. Like I sort of get, you would come to some kind of like, fuck it. Like this is, this is fine now. Right. Well, see, here's the thing. As we, as we discussed when they were in the house that the mouse was trying to drive them out of, their mental their mental state was uh, affected in a very negative way. They became manic and destructive. However, now sure. the mouse has entered into a location that is already being guarded by a different spirit. It has right. okay. it has offered this cheese string as an offering to the spirit to yeah. to come into accord with it, and therefore its powers are combined with the powers of his father of their father to cause them to become obsessed with the thing their father was obsessed with. Cheese string. String. <laughs> yes. <laughs> string. Yeah. And and I mean, like, that's great, and I'm glad we were able to get there, but in the fiction of the film, they go from hating this mouth so much that they destroy their house to giving him a little tiny chef's hat and letting him fucking run the factory, basically. Yeah, motherfucking and Ratatouille like, stole from this movie. Yeah. It's yeah. it's just such a wild swing. Like I I mean, so yeah, they basically repurpose the entire factory to make string cheese. Now, um, I want to talk about this a bit because like we see as as we're getting a tour of this that they have replaced a bunch of the machinery. Like it's all shiny metal now, so the idea is it's supposed to be, you know, new and clean. But their process is still this bizarre thing where this like string is being generated across the entire spread of the factory in a like Rube Goldbergian process. This is the least sanitary food production process I have <laughs> yeah. seen in my life. Yeah, it's all open to the air machinery. And it's that's touching just... so many things. Like typically yeah. you minimize what anything that's going to be consumed actually comes in contact with because every 
new piece of contact is new inflection points for bacteria. Yeah, it's not sanitary. However, uh, we we see um, that Lars is, I think that's supposed to be the lady from the auction, though I'm not super certain. Uh, he is showing the lady around and explaining that uh, uh, they've re- retrofitted everything to make cheese products. Uh, and then we cut to uh, Ernie, who is uh, feeding some cheese to um, uh, to the mouse, and he's like the tester, and Ernie is basically the head cheese chef, and he comes up with different combinations of... Because, again, right. as they said earlier, a string is... Or yarn is two pieces of string uh, tied together. Right, so, so all- he's, he's got all these combinations where one of the strands is string, and then the other is some other extruded food. Well, cheese. One is cheese, and the other is something else, yeah. That's what I, oh, that's what I said, yeah. Or yeah. what I meant to say. Yeah. Um, we've we've and- all gone a little string mad in this podcast. It's fine. <laughs> And he says basically like, yep, uh, you know, I, I want to, uh, so, so he has like curry and cheese and different weird things. Cause he's a, a fancy chef, chef man. Uh, and then he walks away with the mouse on his uh, shoulder and he's like, also, I want you to be our spokesperson because a mouse is a spokesperson works out pretty well. Yeah, He <laughs> says he's, wor- he's, he's worked with somebody else who did that and it worked out right. great for them. Yeah. Um, and that's it. I mean, I mean, that, so that's it. Except we, the most important shot of the film. Oh right, we pan yeah, across sorry. the photo one more t- or the the painting one more time, and now it is smiling contentedly. Yes, and next to it, they've put up his piece of string with his famous quote: "A world without string is chaos." That was the problem and with the house: no string. No string. That was the problem. And that's it. Also, also, uh, the the end credits open saying that it's dedicated to uh, the memory of William Hickey, who is the man who right. played their father. Uh, oh, interesting. So I looked okay. it up, and uh, yeah, he died uh, basically while this movie was in production. Oh, bummer. Um, I recognized him, but couldn't place where. I, yeah, no, I he's been in he's before. been in quite a few things. Like he's a he was a very accomplished actor. Uh, I, I looked at, I, you know, I looked it up and his, his thing on death is kind of on his death is somewhat interesting. He died during the filming of a, uh, movie that doesn't actually have its own Wikipedia entry. Uh, it's by a Nigerian American filmmaker named Uzo called okay. better than ever. And so they had to do a pickup shot to, to close out that, that film. Uh, but his final movie was called Knocking on Death's Door, which is Oh jeez. Yeah. Ooh. And then and then this movie, which was one of his last films too, like he appeared as a man who died. Right. Wow. Okay. Yep, that's rough. But yeah, so there you go. That's the movie. It's a it's a lot. Zach, you may I... remember him from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, in which he played Uncle Lewis. Thank you. Apparently, he was the evil scientist in Nightmare Before Christmas, also. So there's that's neat. Um, but yeah, so like, I think this movie is wild. <laughs> uh, as we said last week, I don't think there's any fucking way you could make this movie now. Like, it's so dark for kids. It, it is yeah. crazy to me that this happened. 
Honestly, um, like again, I as yeah, the dark stuff is definitely a thing. Like Disney would never let you make this movie if you happen to get the you know twenty percent of other people who are making movies these days interested. I could see it maybe getting approved. Sure, but what really what really gets it for me is this: just the the tone and structure of it, like. The way stuff is plotted, I've, I've said it before, but like nothing about this feels like a kids' movie. The no, it's it's no like the B plot is is like corporate, uh, like sh- corporate uh, takeovers and shit. Like it's not, it's yeah, it's and like it's the, very strange. The weird, the weird, indecipherable setting, the way everything's so grimy. Like there's just so many decisions that make this feel really unique, but also the way modern Hollywood movies are made, you don't get that. Yeah, that's true. And the, like, like we talked about, like the color palette is desaturated for a kid's movie, which is just something that you don't see ever. So like, I don't think this is good, but it's real weird. And it's like a three out of five. I don't know. I I would say terrible. I'm not going to prop this up as must see cinema, but if you want to watch a weird ass film that can be at times legitimately, uh, fun and at times just bafflingly intriguing like this is worth watching yeah Yeah. if you if you want to watch a movie and be like uh like just watch something that isn't something you would see now or at least way less often the modern blockbuster watch this movie for a palate cleanser yeah yeah I, i can agree with that um but it was fun talking about that mouse like to to kind of drive this home, and I, I assume if you're listening to this, you would listen to the first episode, so you know what happened. But I was describing to some friends of mine who had not, you know, liked Mouse Hunt when they saw it when they were kids. Yeah. I was like, did you know that that movie has an Auschwitz joke in it? And they were like, no, it doesn't. And then I <laughs> had to show it to them on YouTube, and they were like, Jesus, fuck. Like, th- there's stuff in this that happens that, like, I... I still kind of can't believe happened. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of it, things happen. <laughs> so it's 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 interesting, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. So I guess yeah. that's gonna do it for us. Um, we're gonna be coming back next year, and we're gonna be talking about the Power Rangers Turbo movie. Uh, I started watching it already. It's bad, but that doesn't mean it's not gonna be fun to talk about. In fact, I think it's gonna be kind of a blast. It'll uh, be great. Oh, it's, yeah, I'm very excited. Um, we're going to start with the, the first part uh, next week. We won't have a break for you guys. We'll have a break for us recording, but uh, yeah. if we set it up right, it should go fine. Um, and uh, yeah, just tune back in and, and start watching along with us. Uh, we get to have we get to meet Justin, our, our fun new buddy, and, and Rocky just goes in a fucking... <laughs> breaks his neck i guess which is one way to write a character out of a tv show yeah um so so yeah it's gonna be fun uh luke what do you have anything you'd like to plug uh yeah you can uh follow me on twitter at ssj speed racer uh you can find some other shows i do on audioentropy.com such as let's place where we rank every video game ever made and uh, also, Where's Pod When I'm Scared? A podcast analyzing Veggie Tales. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, 
Lexi, is there anything you'd like to pitch? Uh, yeah, go to www.audioentropy.com and you know just check out what we got there. We've we've added a bunch of new shows lately. Um, there's we've had a few shows that have ended. So if you're just looking for something that you can binge your way through and be done, if the pressure of new episodes every week it scares you off from podcasts, we've got you covered on that front. Um. And yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of different different stuff out there. A lot of it featuring people you've heard on this show. Some of it featuring people you haven't. Uh, so yeah, poke around, see if there's something that grabs your attention. And uh, uh, if you if you like what we're doing, or just you know want to support independent content creators, uh, you can go ahead and hit that donate button at the top. And uh, yeah. yeah, just just throw us a little money. We uh, you know we don't we don't advertise on the show. We don't get any like actual income. So whatever you give goes to keeping the site up. Yeah, uh, so check that out. Uh, I guess I'll real quick say um, uh, I mentioned um, uh, Thesaurus Wrecked, which is a, a fairly new show. A couple episodes up there. Me and Luke have both been on it. And then Stranger Fic- uh, Stranger Than Fiction Pod. Stranger's is, Fiction, is Zach. Stranger's plug Fiction. Something. Get I'm, the name right. I'm sorry. Stranger's Fiction, which is a, a, a podcast by Cassidy um, and or of a Sorry, I completely lost my fucking mind. Of uh, Let's Steal a Podcast. Oh, no, Zach, do you have um, a mouse? No, I have a mouse. Is that what's Sorry. happening? Is that your brain breaking down? It is uh, hosted by Cassidy of Let's Steal a Podcast, um, and she is mostly doing one-shots of di- various different uh, uh, tabletop systems. Um, me and Luke were on an episode that's going to go up. Uh, you should check it out. It's pretty fun. Uh, especially if you are interested in different, like, indie RPGs, but not so much that you want to listen to, like, a 30-episode arc of one. You just want to kind of get an idea of what's out there. It's pretty cool. You should check it out. Um, yeah, and that's it. So come back yeah. next week. Uh, 14 Years of Attitude. I've been Zach. I've been Lexi. I've been Luke. And, yeah, I mean, I guess the mask is also kind of similar to, like, Ebony Devil. Um, okay, has a little everybody. bit in common with have Survivor. Oh, Happy Dragon's New Dream. Year. That Happy one is pretty Christmas. similar, Happy too. Uh, that one's still well run. I get me, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is. No, hey y'all is one of the best stands there is. <laughs> I'm still going. <laughs> no, Zach, can I tell you what hey y'all does? It's not gross. All right, so hey y'all is in the one where they're all cowboys in a horse race. And uh, the guy who uh, has hey y'all doesn't even know he has a stand. But when the horse race starts, just a weird skeleton pops its head out from under the horse and starts giving him advice. And it's just like, it's always like, hey, you should jump off this cliff. And it's always like, if you follow Heya's advice, just magical circumstances will happen to make things work out in your favor. <laughs> and it just, yeah, he like he never directly fights anybody. He's not really like, you know, an assassin or trying to get into any battle. He's just trying to win this horse race and he ends up winning just because he's listening to Heya's advice the whole time. No, it, it, the thing is, like, at a certain point, by, like, part four, they're contemporary. It's just, it's a little older now. Like, the ongoing JoJo arc has characters with, like, Lady Gaga stands.
Yeah. Yeah, there's like a motorcycle monster called Born This Way. Yeah. <laughs> 